Go ahead and find with me 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The parts of of the epistles we often skip over are the uh, introductions and the conclusions. And I actually think there's uh, there's a lot of rich insights um, from the pen of these inspired authors. In verses like these, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and her brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We begin with a question. What do you need to spend eternity with God? You know, when folks sit down and hear the sermon, I I kind of get the feeling sometimes you're gauging what kind of sermon this is going to be. Um, Are we going to talk this morning about something that's going to help me, or are we going to learn about the Jebusites? Um, Maybe you've been having having some trouble in your marriage, and you really want a sermon that's going to help you with that. Maybe you've been a little, little down or feeling bad, and you're hoping for an encouraging sermon, a sermon about hope, joy, endurance. But as soon as the preacher asks, what do you need to spend eternity with God, I think that's something we can all get behind. I hope it is. It's hard sometimes to preach a sermon that hits everyone where they are, but I'm certain this is one. Now, of course, the first thing someone needs is to start their Christian walk. That's what you need. As we come to believe Jesus is the Christ, we begin to make a change in our mind, a fundamental change in our orientation in life. That's called repentance. We're going to believe it so strongly we are willing to confess that before anyone who would ask us. We're going to confess it before this church, and for the rest of our lives, we're going to confess what we believe about Jesus, and we're going to be baptized so that our sins can be washed away. But of course, that's just a starting point. That's not the destination. That's the on-ramp to discipleship. Now what? If I ask some Christians, I probably get several good answers of what you need now to continue your walk. Someone might say it's very important to read your Bible every day, which I say is wonderful. Faith, after all, does come by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Someone else is going to say you need to learn to pray and you need to deepen in your relationship with God through prayer, which, of course, I'm all about too. Someone's going to answer more generally and say, well, let's not just say some specific things. Let's say more generally we need to learn to love Jesus more. The great commandment is, after all, to love Lord your God, with all, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we can attend to that, if we can make that the center of all of our lives, everything else will fall into place, to which I say, that's a very profound thought. That's a, that's a very good thought. All good answers. But allow me this morning to give you another answer, which unfortunately I think is somewhat underrated. Unfortunately, I'm afraid it might not come up as often as it should in that poll. And that is the answer, become a part of a local church. Listen again to 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2. Paul describes the recipients of his letter this way. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Paul writes to people in Corinth who are striving for eternity with God and as a part of that picture have bound themselves together as saints. They understood that the church was a crucial ingredient which stands, I think, in contrast to what many, 
most, well, at least many people say today, their attitude toward the church. You've heard people say things like this, you know, I'm not really into organized religion. I love God, I'm a spiritual person, but not a religious person. I'm serving God in my own way, and I don't need a bunch of other people for that. Someone says, I'm big on God. I love Jesus. Church, not so much. Someone has a horror story. I got scared away from church. I had some bad experiences. Maybe someone with a little harder edge to to them might say, you know, why do I need to be around a bunch of hypocrites to serve God? And I think what those things miss is that the local church is a God-ordained entity. That if you are really big on God, you will also be really big on the church. Because you know what? The, The local church was God's idea. He thought of it. It wasn't man's invention, it was God's. And if God loved the church and if God instituted it, then why wouldn't we? Unfortunately, there are also Christians who at least pay lip service to this. They have their name in a church directory, but from their actions, it's obvious. Even they don't put much emphasis on the church. Why don't more people see the local church family as something they desperately need if they want to spend eternity with God? So the title of my sermon is very straightforward, very simple. You need the church. If you want to be saved, and if you want to stay saved, then you need to be an active participant in a local church. You need to avail yourself of one of the greatest tools God has given us to grow in Him and to spend eternity with Him. Because God did not intend for us to become Christians and then go live on a deserted island to keep ourselves holy by never talking to another person. And God did not intend for Christians to be sort of free agents, floating Christians, who just kind of drift around perpetually church shopping and never attaching themselves to any group of people. God did not intend for Christians to sit on the sidelines of their local church. God created the local church for Christians in an area to band together and help each other, like these Christians in Corinth. Let me remind you, most of the New Testament are letters written to local churches about how to act and how to live and how to relate to one another. If you are not a part, striving to be a part of a local church, an active participant, then most of the New Testament will simply not apply to you in its fullness. And you will not understand the full impact of it. Because the New Testament is largely written to members of local churches. The story of Acts is how those churches got started. How does the book of Revelation even begin? It, It begins as Jesus' message to seven churches in Asia about their work together. Is this a subject God cares about? The local church matters, and it should matter to us. We need the church. Now, let me begin by simply acknowledging the fact people are down on church. And I just want to uh, briefly um, describe a few of those reasons why people are down down on church. Number one is that Americans are simply down on commitment. Um, To get people to commit these days to organizations uh, is like pulling teeth. That's what people whose job it is to run organizations, to to muster volunteers for this or that organization. What we value is not not commitment and obligation and responsibility. What we value is is freedom from responsibility, the ability not to be tied down, able to do what we want, able to change our mind as much as we want without consequences. You know, it's even a selling point for gym memberships and cell phone plans. No contract, no commitment, no obligation. They know we are interested in those ideas. Maybe the, the ultimate example these days is people's attitude toward marriage. More and more people, for example, are losing to, choosing to live together without getting married 
because they'd rather not make the commitment. They want to be free to step away from the relationship. They want the benefits of marriage without the attached strings, without the commitment of marriage. Which, by the way, they don't actually get the benefits of marriage without marriage. Um, For example, people who first cohabitate and then marry divorce much more frequently than those who do not cohabitate before marriage. But we value personal freedom more than anything else. We don't want to commit to anything that's going to burden us, that's going to ask us to do something that might not be the most convenient thing in the world for me at this very moment. Can you turn with me very, very quickly, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. So we come from this freedom-loving, no-obligation culture, and we open up the New Testament, and we read about the local church, part of which are commitments like these that we make to one another. This is Galatians 6 and verse 1. Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brothers, Galatians 6 and verse 1. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The local church is a commitment. It means you're going to be asked to help out. You're going to be asked to serve, to do for others. In verse 1, you're going to be asked to hold your brethren accountable. In verse 2, it means you're going to be asked to bear one another's burdens. You're going to be asked to carry weight that they're bearing in their lives, to ask them if they can offload some of that onto you to help them. You're going to deal with other people's baggage, and you're going to inconvenience yourselves at times for the sake of others. Of course, that also means other people are going to be inconveniencing themselves for your sake as well. But Americans are down on commitment, and I think that's one of the reasons we don't think we need the church. We just don't want it. Second, we've all got a church horror story, or two or three. The church is, of course, the plan of God, and the plans of God are absolutely perfect and flawless. But in sort of a paradox, the local church will never be perfect on this side of eternity because the church is always full of imperfect people. And sometimes those imperfections bubble up to the surface in ways that really do hurt people. It manifests itself in pharisaical attitudes, which make uh, mountains out of molehills and molehills out of mountains. It manifests itself in people looking down their nose at others and making religion sort of a... uh, a holiness contest in which they pronounce themselves the winner. There are proud Christians. There are hypocritical Christians. There are Christians who live sinful lifestyles and, and, and also act holy. There are Christians insensitive to others. Maybe, maybe you went to a church um, that had a Brother Crotchety or Sister Fussy Pants in it. We all have a church horror story in it. But of course, God knows what people are like, and he knew that when he thought of the church. And New Testament churches were not without problems. We open in in 1 Corinthians. God knew all of this when he made the local church. That was factored in. New Testament Christians had their own church horror stories. And yet, for all its warts, God's will still stands. There it is in the New Testament. Come together with your brothers and sisters. And number three, there is sort of just this general attitude that we have, which is, mind your own business. We are a fiercely independent country founded on principles of freedom, which, of course, there's some good things about that. But when it comes to the local church, I am afraid that an obsession with freedom without a counterbalancing obsession with responsibility uh, is, is pretty disastrous. 
You know, the idea that, that if we weren't coming to church, if we hadn't been here for a while, and someone called us saying, you know, we've missed you, what's, what's happening? That's just not something a lot of people want. If we, had, if we had some pictures on Facebook of us doing wild and pagan things, and we got a message from a Christian saying, you know, I'm not sure this is consistent with the Christian walk, Lots of people would bristle at that and would take great offense, not at their behavior, but that someone would point it out. Being in someone else's business is a very big no-no to us. Sometimes we want to say, you know, I'll go to church when I jolly well please. Uh, It serves me. I don't serve it. Leave me alone, please. We're just not real big into accountability. We don't don't want people calling us out about our choices, our priorities. But a huge part of the local church is that we be accountable to one another, that we be in each other's business. So let's talk about that a little further. I want to talk about, for the rest of our time, four reasons why you should be a member of the local church, a participating member of the local church family. Number one, you'll identify as a genuine believer. This is Acts chapter 9. Go with me to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, Paul has come to Jerusalem and he attempts to join himself to the disciples. Now, by this point in his story, Paul has seen Jesus and he has been baptized. He is a member of the church universal. He is a member of the worldwide body of people who are in Christ. Paul is in Christ. But for some weird reason, Paul felt it necessary to be involved with the local church where he was. He wasn't satisfied to just say, I'm in good standing with God. He didn't say, I'm a spiritual person, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but I don't need those hypocritical Christians. No, he wanted to be in good standing, not just with God, he wanted to be in good standing with God's people, wherever he was. Acts 9 and verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. So Paul wants to join with these disciples in Jerusalem. They didn't want him to join them because they only knew Paul the persecutor. But why does Paul want to join them? In part because he wants to make the statement, I am with you. I am not who I used to be. I am a Christian. I want to serve God with you. I want to help you serve God better. I want you to help me serve God better. And Paul could not make that statement by occasionally dropping in. Paul wanted to make that statement by jumping in with both feet, making the statement, this is what I'm about. Sometimes there's, a, there's some confusion about this. Church is not somewhere we go. Church is not somewhere we go. The church is a relationship we are in. Being a part of a church is a lot like being a part of a marriage in this way. Marriage is a relationship you never leave behind. When I leave work and go home at the end of the day, I don't say I'm going to go home to be married now. I was married the whole time. It's a relationship you are in. It becomes a part of you. It becomes really central to your identity. And that begins when you seek what Paul sought, to identify with, to associate with, to become invested in a local church, to say, I am a part of you, and you are a part of me, not unlike a marriage. Paul knew there was a difference between dropping in every so often and becoming a member, saying, I want to be a part of you. One reason to be involved in the church, you will identify as a genuine believer. Number two, become a part of a local church and you'll be moved out of isolation. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. 
So in the New Testament, there's all these passages about what Christians do for one another. If you look up in a concordance, one another, you will find dozens of passages in which Christians are described doing things for one another. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, for example. Romans 12 and verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Can you do that in isolation? Who is there to outdo in showing honor if it's just you and your dog? This can only happen when Christians are together, when we are in meaningful relationship with each other. This is incoherent outside of a local church context. This is Romans 15 and verse 14. Romans 15 and verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Do you see the one another relationship here? That as we gain knowledge, we go on to instruct one another about the things that we learn. That we are in a learning relationship with each other. I learn from you and you learn from me. Again, how in the world is this coherent if it's just me and Jesus? This is, uh, this is uh, 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 11. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. 2 Corinthians 13 11. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Here are things we are supposed to do together to comfort, to be like-minded, to be at peace. And notice, by the way, the connection between the one another toward each other and the one another we have with God. That as we do these things for each other, it is actually God who is at work in those relationships. This is, uh, this is Ephesians, 3, uh, Ephesians 4 and verse 32. Ephesians 4 and verse 32. Be kind to one another. 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do you see all the things we're doing for one another? Just one more here. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build, build one another up just as you are doing. Are you doing that? Who are you encouraging? Here is a command on par with any other command in Scripture. Don't worship graven images. Don't lie. Don't murder. And oh yeah, encourage one another. Christians encourage other Christians. That is something that we do. And where do we find the other Christians to encourage? We find them here in the local church. So how can we do these passages if we are not associated with, if we are not involved in a local church family? Where will we find the other people to do these things for one another? If we're not doing these things for one another, if we're not doing them here toward our brethren, where are we doing them? What brethren are we busy forgiving and learning to love? Who are we busy being kind to? Who are we building up? Who are we sharing our Christian walk with? You know, you can tell this is true. Sometimes you meet, meet someone who is sort of a perpetually floating Christian, who never really attaches themselves to the local church, and they give themselves away in their language. They say things like, you know, that's what they're doing over there. It's always that church, their preacher, what they're about. And never do they say anything like, hey, 
let me tell you what we have going on. They're always an outsider, and they're never a part. Let me say again, these one another passages are not suggestions. They're commandments. That without being involved in a local church, we simply cannot do, we are not doing, and we cannot do what it is God calls us to do. Many also have the idea that the church is, is, is primarily, primarily a place where you go to get. Our language gives us away. Again, we say things like, I didn't get anything out of that service. I didn't get anything out of that sermon. And maybe you didn't, and maybe that's my fault. But the real truth is, church is a relationship in which we work together, in which we give, in which we serve. And like when someone goes to a marriage counselor and all they ever say is, I'm not getting anything out of this, marriage counselor will identify the problem. Marriage isn't about going to get something. It's about relationship you are in. God designed the local church so that we'll be moved out of isolation, so that we recognize we didn't just get a father when we became Christians. We got brothers and sisters too. Number three, be involved in the local church. You're going to grow. Go back with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be there in a second. Ephesians chapter 4. No one will ever reach their full potential sitting at home or sitting on the sidelines of a church. It is really the local church family that provides many opportunities for us to grow in the faith. There are opportunities, for example, every time we assemble to develop ourselves in some way, to grow in our knowledge of Scripture and our classes, to develop our abilities as teachers, to deepen our devotion to God through prayer and song. Every time we assemble, we are offering opportunities for people to grow. There are also opportunities to build relationships with other people, to develop traits in those relationships like hospitality and service. That if you involve yourself with with other people here, you will grow in a way you never could without this church. You know, I can confidently say I would be a less well-developed human being, I would be a worse person were it not for being a member of local churches all my life. And I dare say to the extent I'm not a better person is because I I did not contribute enough to those churches. I was not a part enough of what those churches were doing. This is Ephesians 4 and verse 15. Ephesians 4 and verse 15. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with, with, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a lot of growth going on here. Number one, Paul describes us growing through participating in the work of the church, us contributing what we can uniquely contribute. And second, as we're busy growing through working, the church in turn benefits and the church and the body is built up. And then you get that ball rolling. As the church is being built up, it is better equipped to help individuals be built up, which of course only builds up the church even more. But of course there's a flip side to that. There's a way in which this can go wrong. That as we don't participate in the local church, as we don't care too much, as we don't invest ourselves very much, of course we're not growing. And of course as we're not growing, as we're sitting by, the church also begins to stagnate. And the church doesn't become a place of growth and health. And that local church simply dies on the vine. That if we're not working and growing, why in the world should we expect the church to? And when we are working and growing, we should expect the church too. The point is, you need this local church, and this local church needs you. When we are growing, the church is growing. 
And when the church is growing, you will be better able to grow and invite others to come do the same. Put that together. You're headed toward God, and you're helping other people head toward him too. Finally, number four. Be involved in the local church, and it, it will keep you from falling away. This is Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. This is another one another passage. Hebrews 3 and verse 13. Hebrews 3, starting verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We talked about accountability earlier in our sermon. We don't like people in our business. We don't want that call if we're not at church. We don't want someone saying, I'm concerned about something I'm seeing in you. Let's scrutinize that impulse a little bit, that mind-your-own-business impulse. Think of it this way. Does a doctor do us any favors if they ignore a potential health problem that they notice in us? What favor have they done us if they spare us that uncomfortable conversation? Should we be grateful to them, or should they be sued for malpractice? After all, doctor says, I don't want to be in your business. I don't want you to upset you. I don't want to have an uncomfortable phone call. I want to know if something threatens my health, if someone else sees that. So why wouldn't we want to know if something threatened our spiritual health? Why would we be any less concerned about that? We're talking about eternal salvation, heaven and hell. And if something is getting in the way of my connection with God, if it's sin, if it's apathy, if it's wrong priorities, do you not want to know about that or do you want to know about that? And if your brethren aren't there to alert you, if you're not receptive to their alerts to spiritual danger, who is going to alert you to spiritual danger? Let's be honest. We live better when we're accountable. We live better when someone is watching. I don't care how good a driver you are, when the police car pulls behind you, now you are a really good driver. We live better when we are accountable. Being involved in a local church will help keep you from falling away. You will get warnings and help when you start drifting if everyone else is doing their job. And if God did not place that safety measure there, I am convinced many more would be drifting and many more would be lost had God not said, gather together Christians and hold each other accountable. If you are serious about God, you need to be in a situation where you will be accountable. Go back with me to Galatians chapter 6. One more passage. Galatians chapter 6. Listen again to the accountability Paul is asking Christians to have. Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself too, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is a huge part of why we need the local church family. You will be with a group of people who care about your soul, who are there to hold you accountable for your sin, who are there to restore you when you repent, who are there to bear your burdens when you begin to feel the consequences of it. There is no other organization that exists that does what the local church is there to do. There is no professional organization, there is no PTA, there is no gym that does this. 
we band together having the most important thing in the world in common, that we know and love Jesus, that we want to serve God, and we want to spend eternity with him. So the local church is a vital tool, and you need it, and so do I. We desperately need what the local church has to offer, and this local church desperately needs what you have to offer. You need to step out and identify yourself as a genuine believer. You need to be moved out of isolation. You need to grow, and you need to give yourself accountability so you'll be kept from falling away. So we come back to the question we began with. What do you need to spend eternity with God? Well, become a Christian, of course. And then you need to get a daily Bible reading schedule. That would be a good idea. And you need to learn to pray. And you need to learn to love the Lord. And now it's time to avail yourself of one of God's most powerful tools. It was his idea. You need a church. Maybe there's someone here this morning that recognizes that you've been forsaking God's people. And that in forsaking God's people, you've actually been forsaking God himself. We, of course, invite you to do the Galatians 6 thing, to come forward, and the rest of us, well, with a spirit of gentleness, restore you and pray for you. Whatever your spiritual need, come forward now as we stand and sing. Pity calleth, turn and listen, stand.